Good evening and welcome to our Bible study series. We're continuing in the study that we've been doing for some time now in the second epistle of Peter. We're calling this series of studies Growing in Grace and Truth. And we've been in the second chapter of second Peter and just to give a quick recap and if there are some new folks joining us and I believe there are tonight we want to welcome you especially uh, you can find the notes and recordings for all of the previous sessions in this Bible study at our church website that's found at new-life-ministries.org and if you follow the prompts there you can find both the audio and the written notes for these studies again this is called growing in grace and truth and if you are following along in the outline notes we're on page 29 and just to give a little review of where we've been up until this point the second chapter of second Peter deals with the subject of false teachers and false prophets and we've seen that this is quite a broad and extensive topic in the Bible and because so much of scripture is devoted to it I believe that you and I should also study these verses very carefully and understand that both the Old and New Testaments have promised us that there will be many of these false teachers, false prophets, and false leaders. And we should be armed with truth, we should have discernment, we should be able to recognize these things and to avoid them at all costs because as we've already seen the activities of false prophets and false teachers are very dangerous and very destructive and it's not just that they have a slightly different opinion about some obscure Bible verse but we saw that in the beginning of this second chapter their modus operandi is to sneak in amongst believers they come in as wolves in sheep's clothing but they begin to introduce what Peter calls destructive heresies very dangerous teachings that can actually end up in the eternal damnation and perdition of souls so this is not a light topic it's a very serious subject and we need to take a very close look at what Peter has to say here and again I'll mention second Peter was the final writing that Peter was leaving to the church and he indicates in this letter that he had come to the end of his life and he realized that very soon he was going to be departing from planet earth and I always place a lot of weight and importance on someone's last words and of all the things that Peter could leave behind for his disciples these were the words he chose to write 
and I believe it's very important and significant to note that most of what he writes in this second epistle does indeed deal with this topic of false teachers, false leaders, how to recognize them, how to avoid them, and then how to be firmly rooted and grounded in God's grace, in God's truth, and most of all, to know the Lord. If you and I know the Lord, and we know the truth of His Scriptures, and if we're living in grace, growing in grace, walking in grace, we're well on our way to being able to recognize and avoid these kinds of deceptions that are going to be proliferating in these last days. Jesus and the apostles we saw warned us that in the last days, and trust me, we are in the last days, we're in the last hours, uh, that there would be many false prophets, many false teachers, and the troubling part about the predictions of both Christ and the apostles, that many would be deceived by them. Hopefully that will not be the case with you and with me and any others who may be listening to this Bible study. Now, I want to continue where we left off last time in 2 Peter 2, verses 10 to 12. We began to look at this passage, and leading into this portion of chapter 2, um, I'm actually going to begin with verse 9, just to give the context again, where Peter says, The Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. We've seen that whenever the apostles speak about false prophets, false teachers, they don't have very many kind words to speak about them. Quite the contrary, they have very stern warnings about the destruction and the judgment that awaits them, again, because it's not just that they are deceived, but they are intent on deceiving as many others as they can. It's not just that they are going to hell, but they're trying to drag as many others with them, and that's why their judgment, their condemnation, their destruction is so strong. And so, Peter says here, God knows how to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. And then, in the next verse, he goes on, this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings, yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men, again he's speaking about these false teachers, but these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. 
They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts, they too will perish. And we began to look at this portion of Scripture last time, but we want to go much further into it this week. He says in verse 10 that a couple of things we can immediately note about false leaders and false prophets in general. And I'll call your attention once again to a very important scripture that we're going to keep coming back to in this section, and that's Matthew 7, verses 15 and onwards, where Jesus referred to false prophets. It's where he talked about wolves in sheep's clothing. And the important thing we want to keep looking at in that passage is where he said, by their fruits you will recognize them. There are certain fruits, undeniable fruits, that can be seen in the life of a false teacher, a false prophet. And you and I need to learn how to recognize these fruits. And let me emphasize again, he does not say, by their gifts you will recognize them. You might be deceived by their gifts. They might have charisma, they might have a beautiful singing voice, great preachers, they might prophesy for hours on end, they might have marvelous gifts and, and miraculous powers. That is not what Jesus is talking about. By their fruit you will recognize them. Fruit refers to their life, their behavior, their character, their conduct. And we must be very careful to distinguish between gifts and fruit. Gifts are great. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We encourage people to move and operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are being manifested in their lives. But we must not confuse gifts with fruit. Jesus was very clear by their fruit you can recognize them. False prophets often go unnoticed in churches because all the people are looking at are their gifts. Wow, he has such a gift of prophecy. Wow, the people fall down under the power when he lays hands on them. That's all great. The sick are healed when so-and-so comes into the church. Praise God, we believe in all of that. But, look also at their fruit. What kind of a life are they living? And the first thing that Peter mentions here, they follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature. We talked about this last time, we won't uh, spend a lot of time here again, but one of the first fruits that you notice in a false leader is their life doesn't seem to line up with their preaching. They preach marvelous spiritual things, prophesy about angels and visions and all kinds of marvelous heavenly things, but they live in the flesh. 
they live after the lusts of the flesh and very often as we saw last time and we're going to look more at this a little later on here in second peter 2 there's often a sexual component to their lifestyle sexual immorality sexual perversion and here it says they follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature Paul is very clear in Galatians chapter 5 that there's a big difference between those who walk in the flesh and those who walk in the spirit and you can study uh, on your own Galatians 5 verses 19 to 21 we're not going to go there now but he outlines in great detail the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience and all of those things are the fruits we should be seeing in the life of a true believer and certainly a true leader who is a spiritual leader but when you see nothing but carnality and many of those fruits of the flesh being manifested in one of these so-called teachers or leaders that is a warning signal they're walking after the corrupt desire of the flesh the sinful nature the second thing that we began to look at in this passage and I want to spend much more time with it tonight it says they despise authority they're bold and arrogant and they are not afraid to slander even celestial beings and after years of studying this myself um, one of the easiest ways to recognize a false prophet and a false teacher this is one of the hallmarks of every false prophet every false teacher I have ever uh, known or been in contact with and trust me in 40 years of ministry I've met quite a few of them they despise authority if you study them carefully you'll begin to find a certain common denominator they cannot submit to authority they are fault finders they're very critical of people who are in authority and they have 10,000 reasons why we shouldn't respect or submit to that authority. There's a real problem with submission to, obedience to, and respect for God-ordained authority. And I emphasize those last words. God-ordained authority. The New Testament is replete with references to authorities that God has instituted. God has instituted civil authorities, governing authorities, from the president or the prime minister right on down to the policeman on the corner. These are authorities that have been established by God as part of what we call civil government that maintains civil order in a society and we're living in a day and age where there is rampant disregard 
for civil law, for civil authority, and what we see in our culture now is a spirit of lawlessness. People regularly disregarding even the simplest of laws. People driving around with false driver's licenses. People refusing to obey even speed limits. People refusing to pay taxes. Just disregard for the civil laws of the land. It's a sign. But in these false prophets and false teachers, it goes way beyond that. They have a disdain for God-ordained authority within the church. Now, just as there are civil authorities, there are authorities in the home. God has established a divine order in the home where the man is the head of the house. He is subject and submitted to Christ, who is his head. The wife is submitted to her head, the husband. The children are submitted to their parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. These are all authorities that God has established. But there's also a government, some people get scared by that word, and I'll have to clarify it, but there is a government that God has established in the church. It's not a lordship or a dictatorship where people are ruling with an iron fist over other people, taking dominion over them and bossing them around. Uh, That's a mistaken idea of how church government works. Nevertheless, there is divine authority that God has established in the church. He has set certain leaders, certain people, in positions of responsibility and leadership in the church by their calling, by their anointing, and we must learn how to respect and submit to those God-ordained authorities in the church. Coming back to false prophets and false teachers, one thing that you can generally recognize about all of them, they despise that God-ordained authority. And there's a reason why. And a couple of verses we read last time, I want want to read again because I think it highlights the reason why they have such a disregard and disrespect for authority. Uh, 2 Peter 2 verse 10, I want to read in a couple of other translations, firstly from the Amplified Bible. It says, These false teachers scorn and despise authority, presumptuous and daring, self-willed and self-loving creatures. They scoff at and revile dignitaries without trembling. You see, the root of the problem is revealed, I think, quite clearly in this translation. The reason they despise authority is they worship themselves. They are self-willed and self-loving creatures. They bow down before the throne of their own will. 
the God that they worship is the God of self. They're self-willed and self-loving creatures, and therefore they despise any other form of authority. And I think the Message Bible brings this out even more clearly. It reads as follows, God is especially incensed against these, quote, teachers who live by lust, addicted to a filthy existence. Note these next words carefully. They despise interference from true authority, preferring to indulge in self-rule. Insolent egotists, they don't hesitate to speak evil against the most splendid of creatures. They despise interference from true authority. You know, when you're breaking the speed limit, or cheating on your taxes, or breaking some other kind of a law, you don't like to see a police car coming down the road. Uh, and you certainly don't want them interfering with what you're doing. Because in your heart of hearts, you already know that you're breaking laws. You know that what you're doing is wrong. When you and I are living right, when we're uh, walking in God's grace, we're doing everything that we know to do to please the Lord, we're not afraid of authority. But when we know that we're doing wrong, we despise anyone who would try to interfere with our activities. This is the real root of the problem. They despise interference from true authority. And not to get too far off the subject, but the churches across America and even in many other countries now are riddled with people who don't want anybody messing with them. They don't want anybody interfering with them, telling them what to do, or even suggesting that they need to repent or change their lifestyle. Rather, as we have studied in previous Bible studies, they look for false teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Now, that can be a very dangerous condition that opens up the way for false teachers and false prophets to begin to deceive and to delude us. So, we must be very careful to keep our heart in a state where we're always ready and willing to receive correction, to hear God's Word, spoken to us, counsel given to us, suggesting that maybe we're going the wrong way. Maybe we need a course correction. I'll be very honest with you, I am still here today because of men and women who spoke into my life and had the courage to say, brother, you know, what you're doing right now is wrong. Your attitude is wrong, what you're doing is not right, and here are some scriptures for you to consider. I thank God for godly correction. I thank God for people 
who under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and under the authority of God can speak into other people's lives and bring that kind of correction. False teachers don't want any of that. They despise interference from true authority, preferring to indulge in self-rule. I'm the leader. I'll make all the decisions. I don't need anyone telling me what to do. The Message Bible calls them insolent egotists. They're basically self-willed, self-loving, self-worshipping creatures. And it's a very dangerous condition to be in. As I've mentioned repeatedly, the book of Jude is very, very similar to this second chapter of Second Peter. And we keep jumping back and forth between the two because there are some interesting similarities, but also some interesting differences. And we can add a little bit more to Second Peter by reading companion verses in the book of Jude. And I want to read two verses from Jude that seem to go right along with this section of Second Peter. And I'm reading from Jude, verses 8 and verse 11. It says, In the very same way, these dreamers, he's referring to false teachers, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, they reject authority, and sla- excuse me and slander celestial beings verse 11 they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion wow now you need to know your bible to understand what Jude is referring to he says in verse 8 they reject authority a little bit of a different flavor from Peter. Peter says they despise authority. This is a stronger statement in Jude. They actually reject authority. They just will not submit to or respect authority. And then it's only in Jude that we find this reference to Korah's rebellion. Now, if you know your Bible well, you'll know that that is found in chapter 16 of Numbers. If you're not familiar with the story, I would strongly urge you to do some homework. Read Numbers chapter 16 on your own. I'm just going to lightly uh, summarize what is found there, but I would read the whole chapter because you can learn a lot about what Jude is trying to say here concerning these false teachers and false leaders. He uses a strong term, they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Now, in number 16, we read about a Levite named Korah. The Levites were the tribe that God set apart from all the other tribes of Israel to be involved in the ministry. They were to take care of the the offerings, take care of the different activities that centered around the tabernacle. 
And there was a distinction drawn between the Levites and the priests. The priests were the sons of Aaron. Aaron was the high priest, and the sons of Aaron were a part of that priestly band. Well, in number 16, Korah gathered about 250 men. These were all leaders of Israel, and they approached Moses and Aaron, and they said, What makes you guys any different from us? We're no different from you. Why are you setting yourselves up like this? We can do whatever you guys do. And this was very displeasing, not only to Moses, but to God, because their spirit was wrong. It was a rebellious spirit. They were reaching out for something beyond what God had given them and called them to. And there are other examples of this in Scripture where people overstepped the bounds of their calling. Uh, You have several instances, for instance, where kings tried to take upon themselves the priestly office, and they went in to the temple and tried to offer up incense, and they were smitten with leprosy by God because they crossed that line. That's why you and I need to make absolutely sure of our calling and election. And that's something that we already saw in 2 Peter chapter 1. So these people overstepped the bounds of their calling and their election. Anyway, coming back to Korah, these 250 rebels approached Moses and said, You all have gone too far. You're no better than we are. We're just as holy as you guys are. Well, Moses said, Look, come back tomorrow and we'll let God decide this. There's a lot of wisdom in that. It's always best to let God decide these matters rather than us trying to take it into our own human hands. Moses said, Come back to the entrance to the tabernacle tomorrow. Bring your censers. The censers were uh, things that held the incense. Come back with your censers and let's all meet at the temple door. Well, the next day, Moses went around to some of the other Israelites who were living near Korah and these other rebels, and he warned them, you better move away from these people. If your tents are anywhere near them, you better get away from them. And that's a very good piece of advice. Whenever you uh, are around one of these rebels, uh, get away from them. Don't get close to them. The New Testament tells us, stay away from people with this rebellious, critical uh, kind of a spirit. Anyway, after the other people moved away from them, the ground actually swallowed them up. Korah and his whole family were swallowed up. The ground opened up and literally consumed them. And then fire broke out and burned up all the rest of the rebels to ashes. Serious situation. And so when Jude refers to Korah's rebellion, notice he uses the word destroyed 
That's exactly what happened to all of the rebels in Korah's rebellion. They were destroyed. So, Jude and Peter seem to be suggesting that that, that same kind of a spirit operates in many false teachers and false prophets. They think they're better than everyone else. They don't need to listen to anyone, respect anyone, obey anyone, because they're the ultimate authority. And in their pride and in their rebellion, they reject authority, they slander even celestial beings, it says. And if they're willing to slander celestial beings, imagine how they're willing to talk about pastors, deacons, or other leaders in the church. So, this despising of authority, this rejection of authority, this spirit of rebellion, is a very common trait. It's one of the fruits that we can recognize false teachers and false prophets by. And let me come back to something I was saying earlier. These same people are often very gifted. Oh, they may be very gifted, talented musicians, excellent preachers. They may have the gift of prophecy. The power of God may operate in their lives, but listen very carefully because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you'll begin to hear a very common refrain. They are fault finders. They're critical of people who are in authority and they refuse to submit to authority. And very often that is evidenced by the fact that they jump from place to place to place, they jump from church to church to church, they always find something wrong with this church and so they've got to move on to another one. I call them Christian grasshoppers. They cannot settle down, they cannot submit, and so there's always some fault that they find with this church, so they move on to another one. These false teachers are champions of unchecked liberty and freedom from all forms of government and restraint, and these so-called leaders cannot submit to authority. They are restless wanderers, church hoppers, continually roving about. And I come back to Jude again, and I think he hits the nail on the head here in Jude verse 13. He says, They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars, for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Wandering stars. That's a very interesting metaphor. If you know anything about stars, planets, any kind of a celestial body that is moving around in outer space, they are all governed by very definite 
and specific laws particularly the law of gravity keeps every planet and every star in a specified course they don't just wander around and go wherever they want it's interesting the name planet means wanderer and it came from a mistaken idea of what these heavenly bodies were before the invention of the telescope and before scientists were really able to analyze why planets move the way they do when they would look up at the night sky over a period of time the some of these planets just seem to wander around in the sky but now that we have telescopes and we can observe what's happening they are not wandering at all they're following very specific elliptical orbits around the sun that are that are defined by very uh, elaborate mathematical equations just one other evidence of the the incredible intelligent design of our creator uh, throughout the universe so stars generally speaking don't wander around planets don't wander around they follow very specific courses that have been charted for them but Jude referring to these false teachers and leaders it's interesting that he uses this term wandering stars they're not governed by the normal laws they're not governed by the the church government and authority that was established by God they're their own bosses they are self-ruled they're self-worshippers and their whole world basically revolves around me myself and I so this is a very important fruit that we can use to recognize false teachers and false prophets and let me also interject here if you and I are ever going to be a good godly leader we must first learn how to submit to leadership I'm gonna say that again the hallmark of a true leader is he knows how to be led he has been trained in the discipline of submitting to authority and my understanding of divine authority we can only have authority when we're under authority if we're not under any authority we really don't have true authority so true authority comes from submission and true leaders are those who have learned to submit to God-ordained authority and leadership that he placed over their lives to correct them, to teach them, to mentor them, to train them. They respect that authority and they understand the importance of God-established and God-ordained authority in the church. Not so with false leaders. They never learned to submit to 
or to respect authority. Quite the contrary, they despise it and they reject it. And if you listen to them, to them carefully, their speech often belies what's in their heart. You'll hear things like, I'm not submitting to any man, it's just me and God. I listen to God and I take my orders only from God. That sounds real spiritual, but it is totally, absolutely unbiblical. And people who have that mistaken idea about submission need to study and learn from the scriptures. The Bible is full of exhortations for you and for me as believers in Christ to submit to human authorities that he places over our lives. Starting as little children, children obey your parents in the Lord. And then as citizens obey and respect civil authorities that have been placed over you. Romans 13 talks about that. In Ephesians, Paul addresses a number of these different areas of our lives where we are to submit to human authority. In Ephesians 6, he starts off the chapter with children obey your parents. Then a few verses down, he says, slaves obey your masters. Well, we don't have slavery in America anymore, but we do have employment, and I think the same principle applies. Employees obey and respect your employer. And then in Ephesians 5, he talks about husbands and wives. Husbands love this passage. Wives, submit to your husbands. You know, and they, they use that, wife, you better do what I say, and you better respect me, and you better listen to everything I say. But if you study the whole passage, it's very clear, the husband must submit to Christ. So if a husband's not submitted to Christ, he's not going to have any spiritual or moral authority to discipline his home, his children, or to garner respect from his wife. So, everywhere we look in the New Testament, there is a call to obedience and to submission. And sometimes I meet up with these folks with, with this kind of a line that I mentioned earlier, Oh, I'm not listening to any man. I got the Holy Ghost now, and it's just me and God. Sounds real, real spiritual, but it's a lie from the pit of hell. Because Hebrews 13 is very clear in verse 17, writing to believers, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you. Obey your spiritual leaders, for they watch over your souls. And if you submit to their authority, then they can do their job with joy and not with grief. And my challenge to these folks that say, Oh, I don't need no pastor. I don't need to belong to no church. I'm my own boss. I listen to the Holy Spirit, and God tells me what to do. My question to those folks is, who's watching over your soul? 
Read Hebrews 13, 17 very carefully. Who is actually watching over your soul? Because it says there that those spiritual leaders must give an account before God. So if you have no one that's watching over your life, then no one is responsible to give an account for you before God. And you know what that means? You're on your own, buddy. I don't want to be in a place like that. I want people watching out for my soul, and I want people who feel responsible for my life who are going to have to give an account that if they see something going wrong in my life, they're responsible to pray for me, and yes, maybe even to come and give me counsel, give me advice, or possibly even correction. Okay? So, submission to human authority is something that is very clearly taught in the New Testament. We are to respect those whom God has placed over us in the Lord. And again, this isn't about human institutions, human titles, well, we're going to make him president and make him vice president and he's senior pastor and he's associate pastor. These aren't human positions. These are positions that are filled by God. And when God places a pastor or an elder or an apostle over your life, you are responsible to submit to them, respect them, and listen carefully to what they say in the Lord. Now, if they tell you to go out and commit murder or commit adultery, obviously you're not going to obey them because we obey authorities in the Lord. And that applies to civil authorities too. In the early church, they were trying to tell the apostles they couldn't preach anymore. And this same Peter, who teaches respect for authority, he rose up and said, sorry, we must obey God rather than man. So our ultimate authority, yes, is God. But God places civil, family, and spiritual authorities over our lives, which we should respect and submit to humbly in the Lord. Alright, coming back to these false teachers, it says they are bold and arrogant. Because they despise authority, they're self-centered, they're egotistical, he goes on to say, bold and arrogant. The word bold in King James is translated presumptuous. In the New American Standard, it says they're daring. And arrogant in the King James is translated self-willed. I think you get the picture. These are bold, arrogant, presumptuous, proud people who aren't afraid to mouth off, to find fault, to criticize, and to despise authority. It goes on to say they're not even afraid to slander celestial beings. <laughs> they have no fear of anybody. And you've probably met people like this. Man, they're not afraid of anybody. They'll mouth off in front of a policeman 
they'll mouth off in front of the pastor. They don't care. They have no fear of God. They have no fear of anybody. They're not afraid to slander, revile, and scorn dignitaries, including celestial beings. My point is, if they're not afraid to slander a celestial being, they're surely not afraid to criticize the pastor. <laughs> In contrast, and Jude follows along with this line of reasoning, in contrast, holy angels, angels who have remained faithful to God, who might have even more of a right because of their greater power, were told that they do not dare bring an accusation against inferior angels. Let me read Jude verses 9 and 10. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare. Remember, the false teachers are daring, but godly angels do not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively, against whatever they do not understand and what things they do not understand by instinct like unreasoning animals these are the very things that destroy them if you study over these verses you begin to get a clearer and clearer picture that will help you to recognize a false teacher or a false prophet if you happen to be in contact with one. They are arrogant, they have a big mouth, and they're not afraid to blaspheme, to slander, to talk bad about anyone. These false teachers, like brute beasts, it says, ignorantly blaspheme and speak evil about matters that they don't even understand. That's interesting. They're often, they're often criticizing, they're talking bad about people and situations, and they really don't even know what they're talking about. They don't even have enough information to be saying anything, and like creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, like beasts, they too will perish. Let me end our session tonight back in Jude again. Verses 16 and 18 seem to be addressing the same trait that is so evident in false teachers and false prophets. Jude verse 16, it says, These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires, they boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Notice again, this is all about me, myself, and I. They promote themselves. They boast about themselves. And somehow in their twisted thinking, 
they think that the more they can criticize everyone else and find fault with everyone else, the more that helps to lift them up and to promote their own agenda. These men are grumblers and fault finders. I've actually known a few people in my Christian lifetime, which is about 40 years, that quite honestly never have anything good to say about anyone. You can mention Billy Graham. You can mention any spiritual leader you want, and they'll immediately have four or five bullet points that they mouth off to criticize them, to find fault with them. These men are grumblers and fault finders. My advice is if you're around someone who's always negative, they're always criticizing, they're always grumbling, uh, the church is too hot, the church is too cold, the pastor's sermons are too short, they're too long, I don't like the songs they sing, I don't like the people in the church, I don't like the food they serve. If you're around somebody that's continually grumbling and finding fault, my advice is run. R-U-N. Run. Get away from them. Because they're going to poison you. And when somebody is continually negative, criticizing, finding fault with everything under the sun, it's going to pollute your spirit if you continue to drink in that spirit. And I believe that false teachers and false prophets actually have a critical spirit. It's a spirit. Now, we've all criticized, and we should repent for that, but this is beyond just, you know, maybe you didn't like the sermon last Sunday, or you didn't like the suit the pastor was wearing or something, but when it becomes ingrained in the person, it actually becomes a part of them. It's a critical spirit. And all that ever comes out of their mouth is fault-finding, grumbling, complaining, criticizing, negative things. Jude says these men are grumblers and fault-finders. They follow their own evil desires. They're self-led. They boast about themselves. They worship themselves. And then they flatter others only for their own advantage. It goes on in verse 18. It says, In the last times there will be scoffers. King James calls them mockers. Who will follow their own ungodly desires. So, putting all this together, and there's much more we could say, but I think that's enough to paint the picture. Um, these false teachers and false leaders, there are certain fruits that are very evident in their lives that you can pick up fairly rapidly. One, they're carnal. And very often, it leads to actual sinful behavior. And we're going to talk more about that a little further along. And it's often even sexual in nature. 
sexual perversion, immorality, uh, extreme indulgence in the lust of the flesh while they prophesy and sing and promote themselves as great spiritual leaders. The second thing that is often very evident is this spirit of rebellion. They despise authority, they cannot submit to authority, they don't respect authority, they blaspheme, they criticize, they fault find, and they try like Korah to draw others into their rebellion. Korah led 250 men into destruction because of his spirit of rebellion and his critical spirit of Moses and Aaron and the established order of leadership that God had put in place in Israel. He led 250 men to their death. So this kind of a spirit is very dangerous and it causes church splits, it causes people's hearts to turn sour against their pastors, against their leaders, against God-ordained authority. And like I said a few minutes ago, if you find yourself around somebody like this, run. Get away from them. That's what the New Testament says. Get away from these people. Have nothing to do with them. Don't hang around that spirit because it will eventually infect and pollute you. They're bold, they're arrogant, they have a big mouth, they're not afraid to slander anyone and everyone because of this root. And I'm no psychologist. Maybe they were abused as a child, maybe they had a bad experience with authority somewhere along the line, but they translate that now into rebellion against all authority and the the speech goes something like this well I can't trust any man I'm not gonna trust any human being I'm just gonna submit to God it sounds great but it's not biblical and it leads us down a path of delusion and destruction and we must pray that God would continually give us a humble heart, a submissive spirit, to be able to even, as it says in Ephesians, submit to one another. And you know, it says in Isaiah, a little child will lead them. God may even use a little child sometime to speak to your heart. If you're humble enough, you'll be able to hear it. And we should always be ready and willing to listen to any kind of correction or criticism. It may be valid, it may not be. But when people criticize you, I would recommend going to your prayer closet and pray, Lord, do you have a message for me? Now, the criticism may be exaggerated, 90% of it may be blown out of proportion or wrong, but there may be 10% in there where God is trying to whisper something to your spirit. Those are people that grow spiritually. People who can take correction, people who can submit to and respect authority. The same Apostle Peter, in his first epistle, he talks about respecting 
those that are in authority, honoring the king. We should give respect and honor where respect and honor is due. And that's not to say we're going to bow down and kiss their feet and worship them, but authority is ordained by God. And as far as we can in the Lord, we should submit to and respect those authorities. Now again, if they're telling us to do something that contradicts the Word of God, we have to draw a line and say, nope, sorry, we must obey God and not man. Let's pray tonight that God would help us to have a submissive, humble, obedient spirit and that we would be able to recognize those that have a wrong spirit, a critical, fault-finding, grumbling, rebellious spirit, and to avoid such people because they are extremely dangerous. Father God, we thank you tonight for your word. Lord, you are establishing a government. It's called the kingdom of God, the government of God. And Lord, you desire to govern each one of our lives, and you do it through your word, you do it through your Holy Spirit, but you've also placed us in a body. You've placed us in this thing called the church, where we have relationships with one another, and we're connected with one another through joints and ligaments and, and all sorts of uh, connections. And Lord, you've placed within the body spiritual authorities, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, elders, deacons. Lord, and you've placed within the home authorities, the, the husband, the wife, the father, the mother. And there's a, a dynamic between each of them and their children. And you've placed us in society where there are civil rulers and authorities and there are laws that govern each city, each state, each country. God, help us to be submissive. Help us to be law-abiding citizens. Help us to be in submission to the laws of the land and the laws of your kingdom. And God, we pray that as you have warned us in these last days, there will be many false prophets, many false teachers. Help us to recognize them by their fruits, not to be deceived by their gifts, by their talents, by their charisma, but to always be on our guard and to recognize those who are wolves in sheep's clothing. That, Lord, we can spare the flock. We can spare uh, young believers especially who might fall prey to their deceptions. God, I thank you for each and every one on this phone line or on the internet tonight. Pray that these words that we have studied would be sealed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You would lead us, guide us into all truth. You would keep each one of us as the apple of your eye now and until that glorious day when Jesus returns for his bride. God, keep us until that day. Bless each one. Unite us in your love. Unite us in your truth. We pray all these things in the mighty name 
of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen and amen.